Do you think Coach K is going to pull a Tom Brady? So what is your reply? To even be put in the same room maybe that Brady would be in is, is an honor. But, uh, you know, he still has talent that uh, can be used at a really high level. I'm done with the, yeah. the coaching part of it. Let's go! The 4 O'Clock Football Frenzy, Frenzy. on Cofield and Company. Company. Four o'clock hours here, and it's Cofield at Silver Sevens. Happy hour has begun, 277 on the drinks. Two bars to hang out at, Bud Light Lounge, where we are, and also the Silver and Gold Bar right in front of the William Hill Racing Sportsbook. If you missed it, Tiger Woods, hell of a comeback. One under after one round at the Masters. We'll get to the full leaderboard a little later on. You hear Coach K coming back. Candy, what do you think of all these rumors the last couple of days? I mean, Jay Williams is one of the guys who threw it out there, former Dukey, who's doing the ESPN National Morning Show. Uh, Williams said, hey, don't be surprised if Coach K comes back. And then Adam Hill explained to us yesterday there's been a whole thing with the staff with Nolan Smith moving on and maybe some worries that, you know, as one of the key recruiters on the staff, he could freaking steal a bunch of the players. It's a weird deal. I did not expect this coming out of the Coach K retirement. So what do you think of all the hubbub the last couple of days? I mean, I think the guy's 75 years old, and if he says he's retiring, we have a lot more reason to believe he's retiring than we do Tom Brady, who we just watched play in the NFL playoffs last year at a level that very few can keep up with. Now, can Mike Krzyzewski coach past 75? Sure, he can. But the man has seemed resolute in talking about this for a long time. This not like Brady where we heard – maybe and then all of a sudden he's gone then he's back no coach k said he's done i believe he's done and uh and and mikey don't let the door hit you he put it well about tom brady he's still on the top of his game so why should he walk away this stuff about him going to the dolphins i guess had really had some some legs to it did it not Mike Florio said it did, and then Mike Florio got a big kick out of coming back a month later uh, with more confirmation of the story (laughs) and telling everybody, I told you this was going to happen. But, yeah, the idea was that Tom Brady was going to walk away from the game and become a minority owner of the Dolphins, and then there was talk that he might even go play for the Dolphins. And then the day Brady retired – the Brian Flores lawsuit drops and everything got a bit more complicated with the Dolphins situation. And, you know, Florio kind of hinted, and I'm curious what you think about this, Cofield. Florio kind of hinted, we don't know if it was coincidental that the Flores suit dropped the same day that Brady retired because it certainly put a wrench in any plans that they might have to have Tom Brady walk across the state. Is the idea dead, you think? Sean Payton, Tom Brady package deal to the Dolphins? Is it dead completely? Not this year, but in future years? I mean, Stephen Ross could certainly, if he survives this whole thing, the tanking allegations, the Flores allegations, etc. Yeah, of course he'd go after Sean Payton. But I think by the time it would be okay to go after Sean Payton, Tom Brady might physically be beyond the point where he's still a highly competitive quarterback, right? I don't think you right now can go anywhere near 
uh, Sean Payton if you were if you were Stephen Ross now that this story is out there. And oh, by the way, you just hired the up and coming coach in Mike McDaniel, who you would hope is going to be there for a few years. So you know the football going through spring practice uh, day number five today last night. Uh, surprise for a lot of people, Steve Jenkins, one of their receivers, actually the guy who led them in receiving a year ago. I think he had 694 receiving and four touchdowns. He led them with three 100-yard games. Good player. He decides to go into the transfer portal. So no, not a good not in. a good thing. Not a good thing. Their depth at wide receiver will now be tested. We asked Marcus Arroyo today, the head coach, about Jenkins going into the portal and, you know, what the process was and what the player told the coach. No, he came in and said that was something that was on his heart, and, and that's kind of the world we live in right now, you know. And so that opportunity presents it for the guys who are coming in to be able to step up and, and take over. And some guys decide they got to do that. It's not, I'm not of the mind where you got to demean those things. Those certain guys have decisions they make for them, and um, right now it's, it's not really out of it's out of our control. And so we got to move forward and uh, wish them the best. And, and, and now we have a chance that we get excited for to put guys in, in some more and some more opportunities, which is great. You talked in the past about you know in the case of Tyleek a couple of years ago about coming to understand him, and eventually he came back. So is there an open door for Steve? Is there more dialogue? Or is, right now, like you said, it's Yeah, no, I think that those have happened a couple times. I mean, Steve was a guy that I think um, him and Tyleek as examples, there have been some other guys too, have decided to kind of go down that road and maybe it hasn't worked out to the best of their knowledge. And we have, we're just not of the nature that, to do that. You know, if there's, there's opportunities out there that these guys don't feel are here for them, then I don't know. You know, I'm just, if it's not a fit, then, then we're not, we, we got plenty of opportunities to play guys that need to step up and do that. It's a very tricky game. It's a very tricky game. One, doing interviews out at the practice facility with the airport right there. But two, how you're supposed to handle these things, Candy, as a coach, the transfer portal. When someone comes to you four days into spring practice and says, um, you know what, I think I'm going to what do you do? You realize that the balance of power has shifted in college athletics and that the athletes have a lot more control than they used to. And – you're still, as a college football or basketball head coach in Division One, getting paid handsomely to manage both sides of that equation. right? You're not going to go out there and now slam the kid because you know damn well that you're going to be trying to pull other kids out of the transfer portal just the same way. So you don't want other kids thinking about coming to UNLV, hearing you drag somebody who is thinking about leaving the school. So in that case, it's just reality for a college coach now to say, I have to understand that these players have a lot more control than they used to. So UNLV uh, looks to be losing its leading receiver, Steve Jenkins. Again, he you know wasn't a guy who was you know 1,300 yards a year ago. He's a good player, and he is a loss. He's an experienced player. But we talk more with Marcus Arroyo about the portal and roster management and what's going on right now around football. You mentioned having a list, you know, at all the positions in case something happens. Do you have you have a list of wide receiver? Could you go into oh, the yeah. portal to get depth? We're ready to go now. Yep, ready to go now, which is really good. Uh, I mean, I have to be. It's just our nature. I mean, I don't know how you don't do it now. If, if you've got opportunity, you've got wiggle room, you've got to be ready because, again, until they until they put parameters on this thing and, rail, and, and guardrails on it, I don't know how you do it if your roster could be disseminated if you're not ready. And so um, as soon as that happens, we're ready to pivot and see how we can make room. What do you anticipate? Dozens or hundreds of kids going into the portal after spring from, you know, the entire country? How, how big yeah, is it going to be? I don't know the answer to that. You know, the one stipulation that, that is out there is the May 1st guideline. And the May 1st guideline is if you don't go in before May 1st, 
you have you run the risk of not being immediately eligible for the next season. So we're up against what two or three weeks out of that date. So it'll be interesting to see now as guys wrap up spring ball. I think spring games, some a lot of spring games this weekend, um, some the next weekend, some have already gone. The next two weeks will tell be a telltale exactly kind of what the what the landscape is. And I don't I'm, I don't know what it may be. I don't know what it holds. I just know that we're we got to be ready. We got to be ready ourselves, and we're going to be ready for everyone else too, um, and try to be try to be the best position we can to uh, to be there to to scoop and score. It really is crazy how college football now has a whole new recruiting season because you know there there's a chance, Candy, that there's attrition, you know, to the numbers with what 130 plus Division one programs. You could lose two or three guys a program. And that's why I said the portal could have hundreds of players. But then they've also got this hard date of you know 4:30 May 1st, where you need to make your decision if if people are offering you of where you're going next to ensure that you are eligible. doesn't mean you won't be eligible, but there's a risk there. So now we've got this, you know, coming up here, like a three-week window of in and out of the portal. It's going to be a frenzy. I'm going to take this a slightly different direction, Cofield. I, I think I might need to reconsider something I heard Marcus Arroyo say last year that I gave him a lot of grief about. Uh, the whole moral victories about, uh, about UNLV. Um the more I hear him talk and the more I hear some of the interesting turns of phrase and, and just sort of a different way of putting things together, I'm not sure I feel quite as strongly as I did about the moral victories thing. Uh, I feel like he might just have kind of a, a different way of expressing certain things, like uh, mm-hmm. how he was talking about how you know Jenkins having something on his heart and not being of a mind to do it a certain way and so on and so on. So you know what? Marks Royal now is operating in in a different kind of situation where players are more in control and they have to be ready to adjust. And you know what? He's exactly right when he says, of course we have a list. I don't know how you don't have a list. I don't know how you're not ready to go out there and get people. Because if you're not, what's going to happen to your roster, right? Like what's going to happen come fall practice or summer practice when you're getting ready for the fall And you have a kid like Steve Jenkins who went into the transfer portal who might be gone by May 1st. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. I think a lot of it was driven by Gravante, but there's no sense in looking back on it. It's just we're moving forward. So, And we appreciate everything he's done, obviously. It's a lot to replace in terms of the production and the type of leader that he was for us. But again, it was just one of those deals that you never want to make, but unfortunately sometimes you have to. Time for Cofield and Company's Path to the Draft. All right, let's continue counting up from the bottom of the first round, breaking down teams in the 20s as the Packers are up. Rob Domoski always does a a great job covering the team. ESPN.com has a couple minutes for us here today in Vegas with uh, Cofield and Candy. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you guys? We're good. We're fired up to talk about the draft, and uh, you know now we're uh, we're kindred spirits with the Packers and Devontae Adams and the Raiders <laughs> and all that, so we can talk about the picks in a couple of seconds. But let's just talk about the off season in general and go back to the the biggest move of the off season and you know all the uh, the drama around when Aaron Rodgers would make his decision on the contract he signed. Give us your impression of the contract he signed. Well, I thought you were going to say the biggest move was the Packers hiring. Rich Bisaccia is their special yeah, yeah, team yeah. coach. Oh, that, that, that too, that too. We'll get to it. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, look, if Rodgers was going to come back, it was always going to be with a new contract. And, I mean, you know, he could say all he wants, that it wasn't about the money. 
but he got fifty million a year. That's that's about the money, you know. I mean, that's what everyone was reporting that it was going to be, and he, you know, told Pat McAfee that that's not true. Well, it ended up being exactly true, and that's exactly what um, it ha- what happened. I think the thing that obviously surprised us all was that him and Devontae Adams were not a package deal after all. And, you know, you always hear, um, you know, sort of how things go down, at, went down after the fact. And the bottom line was Devontae Adams didn't want to play for the Packers anymore. Um, and, and that's why they had to trade him. So going back with Devontae Adams, you've obviously seen his career in Green Bay. He talked yeah. glowingly about wanting to be closer to home, Las Vegas being close to California, of course. But was there any sense along the road that he was not happy in Green Bay? Yeah, last training camp um, when he showed up and, and they didn't have a contract and they re- really weren't obviously close to a contract. We knew that then, uh, you know, and they didn't really end up getting closer until it was too late. Um, you could tell he was, he was uh, uh, perturbed. It was, what else do I have to do to show you that I'm the best receiver in the league? And, you know, they weren't willing to pay him what he wanted. And to his credit, he went out and had another I'm the best receiver in the league type of year. So, um, in fact, it was probably his best year all around. So, uh, you know, I, I just think that you could sort of see, you know, from his standpoint where it started. I, I guess I just thought, and having covered this team for 25 years, you know, I just thought they, they're they not going to let a guy this good walk out the door. They never do. And, and um, you know, it's, it's interesting. Aaron Rodgers wanted out last year, and they wouldn't trade him. Devontae Adams wants out this year, and they do trade him. I guess that shows you the difference between a quarterback's leverage and a receiver's leverage. I mean, you're not going to your quarterback's just not going to be able to work his way out as much as as a receiver is because the receiver is just more expendable. And there was no way they were they were letting Aaron Rodgers get out of here. There's probably not an easy answer to this question, but you having seen the team as long as you have, are we going to find out this year that? Aaron Rodgers made Devontae Adams more of who he was or that Devontae yeah. Adams helped Aaron Rodgers more than we thought? It's a great question, and I would say this. The evidence of guys who have left here um, and gone to play other places would support the idea that Aaron Rodgers made them. But I will say this. The guys that have left here, and I'm going to talk about guys like Jordy Nelson, who, who obviously went to the Raiders, uh, James Jones, uh, uh, and... Greg Jennings, guys like that, they all never came close to their production they had here, but they were also old. They were older. Now, Devontae Adams is 29, if I'm not mistaken. Um, we'll turn 28 on, I believe it's his birthday's on Christmas Eve, because I just always remember him talking about how he gets you know screwed out of a uh, present uh, <laughs> on his birthday and Christmas. But I believe he'll ter- turn 30, if I'm not mistaken. So he's you know, he is in that, in that range where, you know, as a receiver, you know, you, could, you can lose it at any time. And, and if you don't have a quarterback that's quite as good, you know, there's a problem. But, uh, you know, he has that connection with Derek Carr um, that, that obviously I'm sure you guys have talked about a ton and that he talked about at length in his press conference when he got there. Um, but it will be very interesting to see, you know, which, which came first, the chicken or the egg. And on the flip side, you know, the Packers are basically – starting over at receiver uh, at this point. And, you know, will, it, will Aaron Rodgers be able to make another couple of guys into great receivers, or, or, or will he not? 
So that being said, Rob, I, you know the universal assumption now is mm. that the Packers find a first-round wide receiver for the first time. I don't know since the uh, Dwight Eisenhower administration. Yeah. So <laughs> is that, that accurate? Uh, I I would say this, and I I've, everyone for the past couple of years, oh, they're going to take a receiver. They're going to the year they took Jordan Love, they were supposed to take a receiver. Uh, they didn't. Last year, they were supposed to take a receiver. They didn't. Um, so I'm, I'm always hesitant to say that this is the year they're going to take one. And, and for the record, it's been 20 years. Uh, Javon Walker in 2002 was the last time they took a first-round receiver. Now, that said, they've taken second- and third-round receivers like crazy. All those guys I talked about before uh, were second- or third-round picks and, and obviously went on to great careers. Uh, so I'm hesitant to just put the money, put put the house on the fact that, oh yeah, they're going to take a, a receiver this year. I mean, you would think they would, but um, you know history would tell you that maybe you, you shouldn't bet that. And the other thing, though, I will say is that they're if they're more likely to make a trade in the first round than they are to pick a receiver. Now, could it be that they're trading up to take a receiver? Sure, but Brian Gutekunst, I believe, and you have to check me on this. Ever since he took over in 2018, I'm pretty sure he's made a trade involving his first-round pick every single year. So, uh, you know, whether he goes up, I mean, he went up to get Jordan Love. Uh, you know, whether he goes up to get one of those Ohio State receivers, you know, maybe, but I wouldn't be surprised if he moves up to do something. If they don't take a receiver as one of the two first-round picks at 22 and 28, what do they take there? What are the other positions? Yeah, I'm. I'm like – Oh, for my career in predicting um, their first round. I don't think I've ever gotten it right. Um, you know, they have obvious needs, but the Packers have been one of these teams that have never, ever drafted for need. I mean, you know, they drafted Jordan Love. That should tell you everything, you know, the, about their draft philosophy. They're, they're not, they didn't need a quarterback, and, and they took one of the first round. Uh, look, I mean, they're, they're a little bit deficient on the offensive line. Um, you know, they're, they're deficient at tight end. And pass rusher is, you know, always going to be something that they're going to look at, whether it's a defensive lineman or, or an edge rusher. Um, but, you know, I just it's, – it's so hard to tell with, with the way they do it. Um, you know, they've often taken some, some picks where you're like, well, it's a really good player. How the heck are they going to get him on the field because they're so deep at that spot? Uh, like if they took a cornerback this year, that's probably their deepest position – um, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if that guy was the highest-rated guy on their board. They've done it before. So, it's a tricky question because it, it doesn't really involve the Green Bay Packers unless Aaron Rodgers gets injured. But you've mentioned Jordan Love a couple of times. Yeah. When is Jordan Love going to play in the NFL? That, that is a great question. I would say this. If Aaron Rodgers ends up playing more than just this season, if he plays – Beyond 2022, they will trade him next offseason. Um, and, and really, they can't trade him now because he's worth nothing. Um, he, you know, he went out and played poorly in the, the game he started against Kansas City when Rodgers was out with COVID. He played poorly in the second half of the season finale against Detroit when the, you know, it was a meaningless game and, the, and they pulled the starters. He, he's never really shown anything in preseason games. So right now, I mean, what's the bet? if you trade him now, maybe you get a fourth-round pick for him. Uh, you know, they, they have to hope, guys, that he plays really well this summer in, in preseason and then never plays again <laughs> in, in the rest of the regular season so people have some good vibes to go off. Or 
that if he doesn't play well in the regular season, I'm sorry, in the preseason, that if he has to play in the regular season, he lights it up for one half or one game or whatever the case may be because they need him to do something to increase his trade value because it's just not it's just not there right now. ESPN.com uh, Packer expert Rob Domoski is with us. I'm glad you clarified what you know nothing is when you said in terms of worth. If you were the Steelers, the Seahawks, Panthers, Colts, and Love is available. Would you give up a third? That's a hard call. I mean, probably. I guess. I mean, you could you could easily, excuse me, easily miss on a third round pick, and you know it'd be a wasted pick. Uh, you know, it, it depends on what you thought of him coming out. Like, if any of those teams and their coaches and those and their scouting departments were high on him coming out, and based on the fact that he was drafted what twenty six, um, seems like nobody was super high on him. But maybe there was a team that just didn't need a quarterback at that time. I mean, you know, Pittsburgh, for example, you know, maybe they just they weren't ready to take Ben Roethlisberger's replacement, but say that they really liked Love coming out, then, yeah, maybe they do make that offer. Um, but, you know, it would have to take so- someone who had high grades on him coming out and is willing to say, well, he just hasn't hit his stride yet in the NFL. Did the Chiefs make a bad purchase in uh, Valdez-Scantling for uh, 30 mil, upwards of 36 mil? Yeah, I, I, I have a um, guy who I trust in this business. He's an agent. He, he's been doing this a long time, and every year – he sends me a, a chart of what he what he predicts all the APYs, our average per year salaries, are for all the free agents in, in, in that you know in this year by position. And he had Valdez Scantling at I think six million a year, Oof. and and this guy is almost always spot on. I mean, there was one year where he was within a half a million dollars either way on like his top fifty free agents, uh, and so he had him at six. Uh, I you know he look he's really really good as a deep threat receiver, but he's a guy that you're going to throw the ball to maybe four or five times a game and hope that he hits on one or two of them. I mean, you look at some of the, I remember a couple of years ago, he had a couple of games where it was like three catches for 102 yards or something, 120 yards and a touchdown. I mean, those are blow the top off the defense plays, but that's, you know, that's about it unless he, you know, really shows that he is going to become more of a possession type guy in addition to being a deep threat receiver. That, that just, you know, that was way more money than, than I anticipated. You know, we joked at the beginning of the convo about Rich Basaccia, but, I mean, seriously, it, that was yeah. a coaching position of need. When you're a guy like Rodgers and your legacy's on the line and the organization yeah. has high standards, I mean, a, a couple of blown special uh, teams plays like we saw, I mean, that, yeah. that can change the, the, you know, the uh, future of the entire organization in terms of achieving goals. No question. I would argue the flip side, though, is that if you, if you have a special teams that you know is bad, your MVP quarterback – should be able to put up more than 10 points to bail you out, right? I mean, that Rodgers is definitely, you know, bears a lot of responsibility for that game. But you are right. From a special team standpoint, you know, this is the first time in, I believe, about 15 or 20 years that they've hired someone who who was what you would consider like a veteran special teams coach uh, that has been successful. Like, I mean, it it seems like they've they've hired some guys that had never been a special teams coach, was it – I mean, maybe like an assistant or a college coach. And uh, when, when they fired the last guy, Mo Drayton, I went back and looked. The last eight special teams coaches the Packers have had have been either fired or forced into retirement. Like, so they've, they've made eight straight mistakes, essentially, wow. with special teams hires. But hiring a guy like this who, who obviously, you know, you guys know better than me, but heard you know, the players there just rave about him and, and what he's like to play for. 
you know, I, I would say it was low key their biggest, you know, one of their biggest acquisitions of the year, other than, of course, you know, convincing Rodgers to come back. Last one, and we appreciate it all the time. Ten and a half. Ten and a half is the win total, uh, the early posted win total for the Packers. Over. over. Okay, over. I was going to ask who, do, like, who do they have to, who do they have to fear in terms of upside in well, the division? Well, like, which team could know, get it's, them? It's, it's funny. I actually, we, we were we're doing a division kind of a roundtable, division by division, and and one of the the questions was, you know, your team wins the division, the NFC North, if. And and I said, well, if the bear, if the Bears, Lions, and Vikings all trade for Tom Brady, then the Packers maybe they don't win the division. I mean, this division, they're like I think my, uh, Matt Lafleur's lost like two division games in three years. So I mean, there's six gimme wins right there. They have uh, the Giants, the Jets. I don't have the schedule in front of me. Uh, the uh, Washington and maybe there was one other team that was like you know a sure you know, a, a gimme victory. That's 10 right there. If you go four and th- three and four in your other seven games, you're winning 13 games again for the fourth straight year. So unless there's a catastrophic injury to the quarterback where he misses, you know, more than a game or two, I don't see how they don't win 12 or 13 games again. Yeah, they're minus 205 to win the division. The Vikings are 325, Bears 8, Lions 10 to 1. So big favorites to win the division. Yeah, and I mean, you know, like, Every one of those teams is going through some sort of a rebuilding effort. You know, Chicago's got new coach and GM. Minnesota's got new coach and GM, and and Detroit. You know, they've just they've just been perennially terrible. And and who you know who knows if they're ever going to get it turned around. So you know, like division's only six games out of seventeen. But um, you know, if you've got that kind of you know twice a year matchup three times, then you got to feel pretty good about that as a starting point. Rob, we really enjoy your work. Great job, great interview. Thanks for the time. All right, we'll uh, be seeing you guys. Take care. There he is, Rob Domoski. Like he said, 20-plus years of covering the Packers. You wouldn't lay that number now, would you? Minus 205 to win the division? No. No, I mean, think about last year at this time, we were looking at the Buffalo Bills, who we thought were absolutely prohibitive, at about minus 150 on the division. So, no, that price has gone way, way too far. Enjoy 77-cent Bud Light bottles during Vegas Golden Knights games at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook inside Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. You're live with the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. I don't care if the sun don't shine. I do my drinking in the evening time when I'm in Las Vegas. You can sit. Sun and camp. I get my color from a sunray lamp when I'm in Las Vegas. Silver Sevens on a Thursday. It's our Thursday home, 277. Happy hour that started at 3 o'clock. Beers, margaritas, shots. So come on down. Two bars open right now. Bud Light Lounge and also the Silver and Gold. Good place to uh, watch afternoon baseball. That's back. Candy's all fired up. Got three finals in. Cubs beat Milwaukee 5-4. Kansas City and Cleveland. Oh, boy. That's going to be a division, isn't it? Oh, is it ever? That game had snow today, by the way. Oh, my God. Um, and by me saying that's going to be a division, uh, at least the Twins, you know, Mr. Potter's kids are actually spending Mr. Potter's money, so that's good. They're playing like uh, big boys. White Sox play like big boys. But I wonder how close Cleveland was with Jose Ramirez, who, by the way, is freaking awesome. Awesome. He's not Lindor. 
I wonder how close they were to actually dealing him before finally coming to an agreement. Well, I would have to think fairly close because the deal he signed, if you want to think about what Jose Ramirez could have gotten, yeah, that was a pretty below-market deal. That's like, what he, I thought, too. He wanted too. to stay. That's what I thought, too. Why did he do that? Well, you just said it. He wanted to stay. You answered your own question, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Uh, Zach Ranke today for the Royals. Uh, almost six strong innings. God, baseball has become so weird. Are you playing any fantasy baseball at all? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I got a couple of leagues. I got a, a mixed league that I've been doing for 20-odd years now, and an NL only, too. Just made a trade today. Really? Oh, I mean, yeah. I'm not I'm not Dave Koken, but let me grade this trade. What, what's the trade? Okay, are you ready? Are you ready to go? Now, remind, reminder here: this league has contracts to where you can only keep a guy for a certain number of years. So, sure. the guy who was trading with me by the end of this season had to move Brandon Woodruff. So, offered uh, a trade for Aaron Nola. He came back with Luis Castillo from the Reds, Brandon Woodruff, and Cabrian Hayes for Julio Urias. Carlos Carrasco and Ryan McMahon, who I had to move by the end of the Yeesh. year. So big, big boys being traded. We're we're moving, we're moving. But, but, but Brandon Woodruff, if I can get Brandon Woodruff out of that deal, I'm feeling pretty good about that. That's nice. Um, does anyone want to draft Pirates? I don't even know if I included the Pirates on my pre-draft list. Hey, not, I just not, traded nine nothing. They lose today, but you 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 did mention Key Brian. I, well, he's, that, that guy has a chance. I did, and I, and I also I took a late round flyer in that draft on Mitch Keller because he's up to ninety nine miles an hour, and even throwing in Pittsburgh, ninety nine is still ninety nine with the exchange rate. Newman, Newman, Tucker, Gamel, who should be rotating like one position, except Gamel can't play any you know, uh, shortstop, but they all started today. Uh, Sitsugo, who was a disaster in Tampa. Please don't tell me he was hitting cleanup. Yes, he was. Boy, the Pirates. I don't. I don't you know, I don't want to go down this rant, you know, over and over and over again. But I don't know how the most of the owners look at Pittsburgh and don't just scream at them. Spend our effing money. It's true. I mean, what are you doing? You look at Pittsburgh and you say you've been like this forever. And then if you're in Pittsburgh, you probably have a finger pointed across the country and like, hey, that Bay Area is a really big market. And the A's are about to start the year with a $33 million payroll. $33 million in one of the largest markets in the country. But, hey, bring them on down to that mythical ballpark in Summerlin. We will talk about Oakland and uh, Big Lib, who was talking trash, the mayor, Uh-oh. on Vegas. That got a little bit ugly. Uh, game's coming up in Major League Baseball. The Padres are a good follow. They just are. They're a fun team. No Tatis right now, but they just traded – you know, they just worked with the uh, bailing A's to get Sean Mania. And uh, tonight they've got Darvish on the mound. They're a slight favorite at minus 110 as Arizona will be throwing Mad Bum, who sadly at a very young age doesn't have a whole lot left. Yeah, that's that's more than a few innings on the arm of Madison Bumgarner that a lot of pitchers didn't have with as successful as the Giants were. Uh, Arizona put a lot of money into that contract. Uh, didn't really seem like a wise investment. Hasn't really proved to be much yet. National Beer Day today for Fat Pack. National Burrito Day. Hello. National Coffee Cake Day. Um, Ari is the decider of what is good and bad from a cuisine standpoint on the show. I assume, oh, yeah. I assume that beer, burritos, and coffee cake are all okay, or do we have something bad to say about one or all of them? There's no way he likes coffee cake. Oh, you're so wrong. That's no. the best one on the list. Exactly. Whoa. Yeah. I'm, I'm, 
And, you know, here goes the joke Steve will make about Philly. But from being from Pennsylvania, we have Tasty Cake, the greatest coffee cake there is. I don't think well, that's true, but the, the but, but, I but I understand why why you like it. I don't think it's the best coffee cake, but uh, that's fine. Packages, I, I should say. Like, you know, not the best home-cooked, obviously. Um, and I'm not a huge beer drinker, but... If you, had a, if you had to drink a beer cool. right now, if you had to drink a beer right now, what do you drink? Totally going to judge me. Simple Bud Light. Good. Actually, well, that's one of our sponsors somewhere in this building. So there you go. <laughs> Works out great. And out of Silver Sevens. Ah. <laughs> in, out of the building, everywhere. I didn't no, know. I, I, was I not didn't know if he was going to get it. I I'm didn't know if he was going to get I, it, Candy. You should have let him flail out there. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I'm we being honest. That. that was an organic answer. Like, I, that's what really that one of the few beers I'll drink. I'm not a big, big drinker. So, what about bur- what about burritos? Sorry, what should be in a burrito? I respect the burrito. Oh boy, but I'm not really partaking in the burrito. What do you mean you're not partaking in a burrito? Well, a couple extra things I don't need in there. I'm, I'm probably like? just more of a taco guy. I like meat and lettuce, tomatoes if it needs to be. Which are, I mean, isn't the burritos do- is beans, right? Well, no, it doesn't have to be. That's why I asked you the question, what should be in a burrito? Because the taco has the tortilla this far, and now watch my hands. They're going to go all the way around, <laughs> and the burrito has the tortilla that far, and it can be the same meal. All right, then I'm in. Chicken, beef, steak. There you go. And, I'm, and a nice Bud Light on the side. Perfect. With, with a dessert of Entenmann's coffee uh, cake, because no, that's, that's what you meant to say in the first place. All right. Honorable mention. There are college football games on the board. Brad Powers has found them. They're early in the season. Brad's awesome. On college football, we'll get a little NFL out of him and see if he made any plays today at all with the opening day around Major League Baseball. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Brad Powers. Uh, so much going on. We'll get to some uh, Masters betting here in just a second. College football, yeah, we don't care. We don't care. So what? So what? It's April. College football, like 149 days away, something like that? Maybe I'm overextending. Brad Powers is with us. Gambling expert joins us every Thursday. Brad, do you have a clock? Do you have a clock on uh, how many days until the kickoff? I don't. Uh, there's. Re- I don't keep track of it because I really don't think there's any off season. So I'm not big on countdown clock. All right, uh, we're on the countdown clock, so we have it before the. Uh, <laughs> they open on like August 28th, something like that. August 28th. Uh, I, I can't add that quickly. Before we get to anything with the Masters or college football, the NFL or Major League Baseball, uh, I'm going to say Silver Sevens has some great music playing here. Just had Talking Heads on. Now, if they had like Migos on, I'd be down with that. Your your tweets the other day about. Casino music. What is happening, Gramps? What do you mean? I mean, it's a Monday afternoon. You got to know your customer. I don't need to hear, you know, a lot of new stuff at two o'clock in an afternoon on a Monday when nobody's, you know, in the place to begin with. I mean, I'm not saying that you got to go straight, you know, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, every single song, but you know, one out of ten probably should be a little bit old school Vegas. I think the message is pretty clear. They don't want us in the casino. They don't care if we're there. Uh, I think they're always going to court to younger people. By the way, when you and another person were going back on, uh, you know, maybe casino music being too upbeat sometimes and not enough oldies, I sent you a tweet with uh, Grandpa Simpson, you know, shaking his fist at the clouds. I got two likes. One of them was actually from Derek Stevens. 
Oh, so, wow. so you're on his yeah. radar. You are yeah, on his I radar am. complaining uh, about circuit music. <laughs> Derek's uh, wife got after me too on Twitter, so oh, I right? guess it wasn't popular. I can, uh, you know, I can tell you that I am not alone with that one complaint about Circa. I have all positive to say about it, but that's my one gripe. I can tell you, I am not alone with that opinion. All right, complaint registered. Discussion for down the road. Did you bet the Masters at all? And did I just make a good bet? I just got Tiger Woods at thirty to one to win the tournament. I think I'm a sharp. <laughs> no, I mean that's the square as can be. But you know, I hope you win. I mean, I don't have any uh, money on it. Uh, golf's not my my thing. Uh, but you got to appreciate history, and you know, I mean, come on, you got to tip your cap to what Tiger did. You kidding me? I mean, his first full round of competitive golf in you know a year and a half after almost losing his leg and he shoots one under at the Masters. I mean, it's incredible. So I'm surprised to hear with all of the people you lean on, you know, in betting discussions that you don't have some golf people. I mean, I have some golf people, but, I mean, it, it's all about, I don't have unlimited bankroll, uh, you know, contrary to popular belief. So, I mean, I got, I got to make some judgment calls. Am I going to bet Ohio State against Notre Dame week one college football or you know, am I going to reserve that for some golf head-to-head matchup? I could tell you me, the, the personal feelings deep inside my belly, I, I'd rather have a little bit of action, even though it's five months away on the, on the Buckeyes. All right, so you're teasing us here. So we do have some opening games uh, in college football, September 3rd and September 4th. So what do you think? Notre Dame plus 10.5 against Ohio State? No, I think the line should be closer to 14. That's where I think the line will close at, so – I mean, if you want three-and-a-half points of value, in my opinion, I think you lay it with the Buckeyes. I'm going to fade a Notre Dame team with a, a, a coach coaching basically his first game. I know he coached the Fiesta Bowl, but still, you're talking about his first offseason. He's prepping. he got a quarterback for Notre Dame. They'll be making his first start on the road at night in Columbus against the best offense in the country. Uh, I just uh, Notre Dame will not be able to keep score for score. I like the Buckeyes uh, to lay the ten-and-a-half there. What do you make of the Oregon program with the change in leadership? Well, it's definitely an interesting first game because you got Dan Lanning, uh, who, who was the Georgia defensive coordinator last year, playing his first game as a head coach uh, against his former team in Georgia. It's played in Atlanta, so Georgia's going to be very familiar with the site. And it'll be, I mean, you're doing yourself a disservice if you're not shading a little bit towards Georgia. It's basically a semi-home game for them. Uh they're going to be all right, but, I mean, a lot more question marks, in my opinion, on the Oregon side than certainly the defending national champs. Now, with that being said, then, you know, the national champs only turn three starters uh, back on defense, lose a lot of talent. But if you follow recruiting, Georgia is probably one of those three, four programs that have been in the top three or four every single year for the last five, six years. So I trust Georgia. to, to It's more reload instead of rebuild. So another one where I laid the big favorite, I laid 13 and a half of the Bulldogs. Uh, back to the Ducks for a second. Are you a guy who likes Bo Nix? Is that is that a good fix for Oregon, or <laughs> you have you have some doubts? Yeah, I I I am not a Bo Nix fan. <laughs> uh, I mean, what what I want from my quarterback is consistency, yeah. and he is the antithesis of consistency. So, I mean, I'll tell you this: if we get great Bo Nix, I'm probably dead on that ticket, but. Uh, I'm not even sure that he's definitely going to be 100% the starter. I mean, why why they recruit that five star kid last year? So uh, it's going to be one where I'll, we'll find out some more answers here uh, as spring uh, wraps up for the Ducks. Now you mentioned uh, returning starters for Georgia. 
um, where they're one of the lowest teams in the SEC. You tracked all the SEC teams with returning starters on offense and defense. So actually some of the higher teams in terms of the total number are Mississippi State, Tennessee, Mizzou, and South Carolina. Um, we can't just assume, though, with the teams that, say, have 11 starters back total or less that, hey, it's the SEC, they're going to be fine. There are some worrisome situations here, right? Oh, certainly. I mean, obviously, experience does matter. Is it the end all? No, but I mean, if you're asking me, would you rather have it or not? I'd rather have the experience. Now, I mean, when you're dealing with the SEC, I mean, sometimes the Jimmys and Joes, you know, I don't care that Vanderbilt or, you know, a team like Missouri's got three or four more returning starters than a team like uh, Georgia. I mean, talent's going to weigh out more than anything, but yeah, I, it's not the end all. And I, if I'm at wondering, you know, what teams I might be worried about, Ole Miss might be one of them. But then again, you know, in today's new age of college football, Ole Miss also brings in like 13 transfers. So it's going to be, uh, uh, you know, maybe they look inexperienced on the surface, 11 returning stars. But the reality is, Ole Miss is going to, you know, rely on at least a half dozen of those transfers that already have college experience, probably to be full time starters for them this year. Which makes your chart really interesting when it comes to Texas A&M. Only 10 starters returning, but he's been recruiting his uh, keister off. Now that could mean that there's a lot of young guys on the field, but they may actually be ready to go and play at an SEC level. Yeah, so I mean, if you haven't been following college football this offseason, I mean, Texas A&M just signed arguably the best class in the history of college football. Eight five stars. I mean, to put in perspective, that was more than the entire Big Ten signed this year. That was more than the entire ACC signed this year. I I did the math, and it was more five-stars this year for Texas A&M's recruiting class than 118 college football programs have signed combined in the last 10 years. So, I mean, in a store class, you know, they're going to be freshmen. They're going to be super talented. Now, I'll say this. I'm probably going to be a little bit lower on A&M than market. The reason being is Jimbo Fisher has left a little bit to be desired, at least so far, from A&M as far as I'm concerned. They're always losing a game or two. They have absolutely no business losing. He's on Twitter at BradPowers7. You can find all of his stuff at BradPowersSports.com. Excellent on college football. Great on the uh, National Football League. One more thing on on college football. You are tracking the programs that return their head coach, their OC, their DC, and their quarterback this coming year. It's actually not as many as you think. Well, we've got 130-plus Division One teams. I think the number was like 15 or 16. Do you... Do you look to play on those teams early in the season because of the continuity? I do. I mean, we're talking about 20% of college football. That's the only parameter. Head coach, quarterback, OCDC. 20% of teams return all four. I mean, that's incredible to see the amount of turnover in college football, not only from a player perspective, but obviously from a coaching perspective. So, yeah, certainly, you know, to me, it kind of makes a couple of those teams deceiving, like, I would say this, an Arkansas team, only 10 returning starters, but they're one of those teams that returns the head coach, offense corner, defense corner, and quarterback. So to me, maybe the market's down on Arkansas because they they see only 10 returning starters. I'm probably higher because they return the most important guys as far as I'm concerned. So it's one of the main reasons my first season win total that I took Arkansas over six and a half. I know I ask you every week about your college football road trip during the summer. Are you doing it? When does it start? Where does it start? It's going to start in July, uh, mid, mid to late July. Uh, first place I'll hit is Arizona State. Uh, then Arizona, I'm going to drive 10 across the country. So UTEP and all that uh, 
places, LSU, and cut up and go through Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and all that. So I'm, I'm on pace to hit about 25 or 30, so I'm pretty excited. That's a good idea. That is, that is a really good idea. There's some good good places to hit along the 10. When, where does it end up, Florida State? Yeah, you know, right before Florida State. I've already seen Florida State, uh, okay. so I'm going to cut up uh, just before Tallahassee to, to make sure I, I see uh, the Crimson Tide. That's one I haven't seen. Good deal. All right, Brad, we appreciate it. Thank you for the time. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me. There he is, Brad Powers, at Brad Powers 7 up on Twitter, bradpowersports.com. One more hour on the way here from Silver 7's drink special. Still going for happy hour, 277 on the drinks at the Bud Light Lounge or the Silver and Gold. you got baseball you can bet at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook, all the hockey as well. We'll get back to the Vegas Golden Knights and the disaster that was last night at the Fortress, just a terrible effort, a bad loss against the Canucks, and I'm sure a lot of VGK fans now are thinking, man, we're just about dead in the water, only a 31% chance, but there's a chance, 31% chance to make the playoffs. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co.